Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. As always, I am uh, elated to be back with you, Austin. And uh, it's good to see your Wi-Fi up and going. That's not been a blood pressure issue for you, has it? Oh, man. Like, it is. What is that? Like, two canceled ones. I've dropped out of some other meetings. It's just, do you pay all this money, right? Like, and I, I pay hundreds of dollars a month for my Wi-Fi with everything I do for work and all that. And it just does it. It just chooses not to work. It dropped me out right before this. So if I, uh, go MIA, we'll, we'll let you guys finish it we'll, up. Uh, we'll come looking for you if you're gone too long, but, uh, yeah, I get it. Well, today is, uh, is about, uh, Kentucky again, and this is a carryover of some, th- somebody that we really know and love that we interviewed recently. This is the spouse, the husband of Haley Blank, our raid media management, uh, interview that we did recently. This is BJ Blank. BJ, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. BJ's a uh, retired Lexington PD officer, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, retired and is now working as an officer for Fayette County Schools. And uh, BJ, tell us a little bit about uh, who BJ Blank is, how, how, who you are, how did you get in the law enforcement profession? Uh, so my law enforcement career uh, probably started um, in college. Uh, growing up, uh, I grew up in a, um, my stepdad was in the Navy and, uh, we moved around quite a bit, spent a, a good majority of my time at, uh, Virginia beach. Um, so, uh, not really a typical, uh, this guy's wanting to be a police officer his entire life. That's not my story at all because I just, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a hellion. I ran around a lot with, you know, kids I shouldn't have run around, did some stuff that I probably shouldn't have done. Um. You know, I've been arrested a couple of times as a juvenile and, you know, just not, you know, just not something that nobody would probably put, oh, that guy's going to be a cop when he gets older. No one would put that on me. But, uh, you know, I, I got into, uh, so I, I got out of high school and not really sure what I was going to do. Uh, I thought I want to be a history teacher. So I went to uh, Eastern Kentucky University. Um, I changed my major about five times from uh, physical education, history. Uh, even nursing, and, and, and then uh, and, and even still, I, did, I was like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. So I take a, I take a class. Um, it's a law enforcement intro class, and uh, the guy teaching is a Lexington police officer. He's a, uh, he's a lieutenant with their police department, and he te- he's teaching the class. And literally, the whole class was him telling police stories. That was it. We didn't learn anything. It was just him t- talking about his police stories and police work. And I was like holy shit, I want to do this. Like, this sounds so fun. Like, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like this one class, I was like, this, like, I could easily, I could go do this. You know what I mean? I drive a car fast, I put the bad guy in jail. Like, this sounds like a great job. You know, one of the things that, that uh, immediately jumps out at me is, is a, uh, I, I think something is a little bit lost in our current profession, but, uh, you know, used to a lot of the officers coming into our culture, had some pretty rough upbringing. Uh, you know, I, I, right. I was the same, but a lot of the guys that I worked with, uh, in fact, it used to, when I got on in the nineties, it used to be a well-known, uh, saying of it's either cop or prison. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the guys coming through there, uh, will say, you know, going yeah. into law enforcement saved my life, uh, because they were just honoring, yeah. they were just honoring 
turds, uh, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know, I hear that resonating with, with you that, you know, you needed some direction, maybe you needed a, a path, uh, you know, something. No, absolutely. Yeah. I definitely, I was definitely a, a, a lost ball in high weeds, as they say, and just didn't really, like I said, just know really whatever direction I went and took the ASVAB because I thought, well, I'll do, I'll do, I'll go to the military, you know, but I had an opportunity to go to college. Uh, my, my dad, my actual dad, he passed away when I was real young. So, uh, the silver lining is, uh, the VA was going to take care of me as far as going to college. And as long as I went to college, I got paid from the VA and they, I got a bunch of grants to go to college. So I was like, why would I not go to college? You know what I mean? I don't know what I want to do. But anyway, so yeah, take this class and, you know, just fall in love with, you know, some of the stories she's telling, like, this could be a really fun job. So I graduate 2000, I graduate May, 2001 and, uh, put in for the police department. Uh, immediately. Uh, and at, at that time, it's not like it is like now, like you're hiring pools are like, you know, 50, maybe a hundred people. But back then when I came on in 2001, it was like the pools were like two or 300 people. And this was, and, and, and this was, uh, uh, cause I got on, I ended up getting on in November, 2001. And I don't know, how, the pool was so big cause it was right after nine 11. You know, we were here, like cops yep. were heroes, firefighter, everybody was, you know, all the, Oh, I can't thank you guys enough for your service. Like it wouldn't matter where you went, like, cause I was in the Academy and, you know, we wear uniforms to certain things. And, you know, when we go out to lunch, just have droves of people coming up to us. We can't pre thank you guys enough. Can't believe you're going into this job. Like this is such a thankless job. And it's not like, you know, cause I've seen the ups and downs in my 20 year career, like hero, villain, hero, villain, you know what I mean? And it's just like, so back then it was a, it was really hard to get on. And somehow I got on and uh, started 2001 and uh, I was 22 years old when I got on. Uh, so like I said, right out of college, probably too young to be the police, a little, a little immature for sure, uh, but it made it a lot of fun. That's the uh, question, BJ. I, I've heard that from a, a couple of people. Do you think that you should have been carrying a badge and gun at that age? Man, I, <laughs> I think I was, uh, yeah, I don't I, <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if I should carry a gun and badge right now. So, <laughs> so I, I don't, so back then, but yeah, I, I, looking back, Probably not. You know what I mean? I, it, it probably would have done me some good to do some, maybe some military or some, some kind of, some kind of a life experience that I go do, you know, co I went to college, but that was, you know, I just feel like sometimes that, cause we, I went through the Academy with 22 all the way to like 43, like that was the age range in our Academy class. And I always felt like those guys that were like in their late thirties and forties, like this guy, it seems like he has his ship. Like he knows what he's doing. I, I have no clue what I'm doing. This guy acts like he knows what he's doing. You know, these guys have been to the military. They've been through boot camps. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, I, yeah. So, so, yeah. Do I think that it was a little young? Yeah, I think it was. But I, I grew up pretty quick. I, I'll, yeah. I'll say that. Uh, being on the street and seeing, like, what real life is. Uh, yeah, I think I grew up really quick. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't have hurt. I think an argument can be made just to drill down on that a little bit, because I, I came on at 23 and I was the same way. I, I look at 23 year olds now and think, man, was that me? Did I look, <laughs> did I look that young? And I did. I mean, my, my graduation pictures are baby, but, uh, I think an argument can be made that you're, you're, you're so, uh, impressionable that you're developing not as bad habits in some of the, some of the areas of, of growth as well. And they, you're really just a sponge at that age of teach me everything, no, you true. know, just I'm willing to learn yeah. and I'm stupid enough to go do anything. Oh yeah. And I was, so, <laughs> so, uh, 
so yeah, so you know, came on two thousand one, and I ended up, you know, we there there the Lexington's Academy is like, it's a long, it's like thirty weeks, thirty some weeks, and then you do fifteen weeks after that of uh, FTO, and so y'all came out two thousand two off of FTO, and just you know just ready to get at it, and uh, I picked, uh, I got put in the. Uh, are busy. We have sector in, in Lexington. There's three sectors. There's a east sector, west sector, and a central sector. Central was the worst of the worst. It was back before they moved HUD everywhere. It, it was like basically there was only one section of town that had HUD. You know now HUD housing is spread all over the uh, all over cities. Like you, you don't know where the bad neighborhood is because it's there. You know the HUD housing is everywhere. Um, but HUD housing back then was like in, you know, it was the projects and it was, uh, that's the area I got assigned to. And I was like, okay, this is, uh, this is a little scary, but you know, we'll see what happens. And I just, I was on second shift and absolutely fell in love with it. I couldn't, I was, I, I couldn't wait to get out of roll call every day because I knew I was going to go get into something. Anything I wanted to get into, uh, I could do as much or as little as I wanted to do throughout the shift. We were always busy, always call to call. And, uh, but, you know, I, 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 uh, piled up with another guy that had the same mindset as me, as far as like, um, drugs and stuff like that. And, and as a kid, I, like I said, I ran into trouble and stuff like that, but drugs was never a thing that I, I got into. And I always hated seeing what it did to people and how it just ripped people apart. So it was a big thing for me to, to like want to hammer down on. And I couldn't get enough of try chasing after local drug dealers. So, you know what I mean? Like running with them, fighting with them, if whatever they wanted to do, I was there to, to do it. So, you know, we, me and this other guy got into it and we would, that's all we would do. We would go out, we would hide in bushes. We would just look for something to get out with drug dealers for, and just, you know, just try to handle. And I did that for, um, I was on second shift, uh, for about eight years. Just, I, I had no, no aspiration to go anywhere else. Uh, I, I just loved what I was doing and I, and I, and I loved that. I loved that I could, um, uh, I could do that. I could go after those drug dealers. And at the same time, I could go help some lady with a cat uh, stuck in her tree, or I could go take a dark barking dog call or, you know, do an accident report. I love that I could switch and go do something like that. And I wasn't locked into one thing because I, I didn't like people were like, oh, you should go to narcotics. You're good at that. Oh, I don't want to do that all the time. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like I always felt like I was going to get burned out if I just did that all the time. Well, little did I, little did I know that I was burning myself out running so hard uh on second shift and uh you know it was, like i said i was about it's about eight years on when i just really started to, like things just started i i felt like i was acting differently uh my wife at the time um she said you know she said you, you're you're different than, than what you were um you don't you don't act the same you don't talk the same uh you seem more standoffish stuff like that so i, I was like man what's, i don't know what's going on and uh, started having, I had a couple panic attacks and, uh, just didn't know, you know, people, uh, people started saying, are you okay? People started asking me if I was okay, because they said that I looked like I was losing weight and I, and I wasn't eating very good or whatever. Just kind of, like I said, I, I, I could, or like a, in the moment, uh, in, in working, uh, while I was working, good to go, uh, on that call, I'm there, I'm in the call, I, I can handle whatever, but it was like right after that call when all I have to do is sit there and think in my, my cruiser that I couldn't, I was, something was going on. Did you know like what those panic attacks were? Cause it was probably the first time you ever experienced them or was it just like, yeah. what the fuck is going on with me, man? Am I losing it? Or, or like, yeah. did you go to like a psychologist, psychiatrist and they're like, yeah, you're, you're having panic attacks. No, didn't, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to, how to react to it. 
um, uh, too prideful to go talk to anybody about it. Just that, well, I'll just deal with it on my own or I'll just handle it. You know, maybe, maybe tonight I'll just go sit in a parking lot somewhere and just try to, you know, and at that time, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't Netflix and there wasn't whatever. So, you know, sometimes you could just go to a parking lot, maybe do some reading or, or just do something. I was like, maybe I'll just do that and I'll be fine. Um, Are you having any conversations with your partners about any of this? Uh, so, uh, yeah, one of my, yeah, one of the guys that I ran with, I, I told him about it and, um, he, he was just like, man, you just, you know, kind of the same thing that I was thinking that, Hey, just cool out for a little bit, you know, maybe just take it easy tonight. Maybe just not, maybe we just won't run around or whatever. We'll just hang out. Uh, we'll just meet up somewhere and just, you know, do what cops like to do. Just bullshit. We'll just sit in the parking lot and bullshit and just, you know, just talk about nothing. Um, so some, one of the guys that I, that I, uh, ran around with, he was, he was pretty helpful. He, he checked on me a lot and, um, starting to have to take off work a lot. And, and, and miss work and, and, uh, burn time. And at that time I had a pretty good amount of time because I just, I never really wanted to, to miss work because I always, I just loved it. So I had a lot of time built up. So I started taking time, just taking time off and, uh, I had a great Lieutenant at the time who told me, uh, he brought me into the office. He said, Hey, I, I noticed, you know, how you're acting, how things are going. Let me tell you, let me tell you my experience. He told me about panic attacks he had. And I was like, wow, that, that is exactly, that's what I have. I like, okay. So is that what this is? He told me about him being on medication uh, just to kind of keep him level. Uh, he talked about that. And he said, look, if you need to be uh, put on the side, but, you know, if you don't need to be a beat unit for tonight and you need to be on the side and just do your own thing, I'm completely fine with that. I'll take care of you. And just super helpful. And he encouraged me to uh, to go talk to somebody. And just, he said, look, we got five, you got five EAP visits, the uh, employee assistance program. He said, you got five of those, go, just go talk to somebody and just try to figure out, you know, what the thing is. And, and also, I also thought, cause it was my, I guess what, what would that make me about uh, eight years? So I was about 28, 29. Uh, yeah. 29, 29, 30 ish. And um, that's when my, so my, my real dad, like I said, passed away when I was young, but he took his own life. And, uh, and it was around that, it was around that age. So that, that came into my mind also is like, well, am I kind of losing it? Like my dad lost it. you like, you know what I mean? Am I going down the exact same path as my dad went? But, you know, I don't, I don't think it was that at all. I think it was, you know, it was just the, the constant uh, fighting and the constant uh, seeing the traumatic stuff and the, 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 the car wrecks, the kids getting hurt, all that kind of stuff. It was just all of that building up. And I was just saying, oh, I'm fine. Just another call. No big deal. Um, just move on. Let's just move on or whatever. Let's make jokes about it. Uh, cause that's what we do. And, uh, that's how we'll move on. And that's, and, and that's what I, and that's, that's what I was doing. But like I said, started talking to somebody and, uh, I got in with a great guy at, um, at the, at our EAP. He now runs the whole thing. So he doesn't, and he, we still text on a, on occasion with each other. And he gave me his, you know, phone number, just, you know, holler at me if you ever need anything, but yeah, he just really dove into everything that I was going through and kind of, Explain to me what those things were. And, um, um, I, I ended up going on some medication. I take Lex. I still do. I, I take, it's a small dose. It's uh, I take about five, it's like five and 10 every other day is, is what I, and it's just, a, it's, it's just enough to where I don't feel that freak out. Like I, like I, uh, like I did experience. And, um, so yeah, he encouraged me to do that. And like I said, from there, it's been pretty good. So after that, after that eight years, um, I went to first shift and uh, stayed on first shift for, I don't know, um, 
I guess another uh, five or six years, I stayed on first shift. No real issues. Um, every now and then I'd have a, a little bit of a panic attack and kind of freak out. Had a good sergeant at the time uh, who I worked with. At the, I worked, we came on in second shift together at Central, and now he was a sergeant, so he was my sergeant. So he knew me. He knew how I acted. He knew when I was off. And he would, you know, he would, he would take care of me for sure. And then, uh, so, you know, had some issues on, on day shift, but nothing crazy. And then, um, I always had the, and I always, it was weird that this thing that was creating the trauma that, um, I was going through was patrol and was all the stuff that I was seeing, but I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could leave it because it still felt like, uh, you know, you're, you're on those calls and stuff like that. And you feel like yeah, I'm dealing with this and I'm going through this, but in a way I'm helping. I, sometimes I feel like I'm helping myself because I can focus for just this little bit and, and be okay. And I can help the people that I'm going out with or whatever. I, I've heard a rumor that uh, you may have been the class clown in your department, right? And uh, there, <laughs> oh, yeah. there, there may or may not be a uh, video on YouTube of sure you uh, doing the running man challenge. Oh yeah. Is, is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, so I, uh, I think I, I was on day shift, and that's when that running man challenge came out. And uh, our PIO, uh, she called me and she goes, "Is this officer blank?" And I go, "Yeah." She goes, "Hey, I was doing this. I'm going to be doing this promotional video, dancing, and every time I talk about it with somebody, your name comes up. That we need you to be on the video." And I was like, "Oh, hell yeah!" I was like. I'm all about that. I said, I'll dance. I said, you want me to dance on video? She goes, oh yeah, this is what you want to do. She's like, she said, I'll send you some links and just, this is what we want to do. So we came up with an idea and sure enough, yeah, I put it on there and yeah, I got, a, I got several million views and, uh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah it, did, it did. Yeah. It did pretty well. And, uh, I was, you know, I was excited about it, but yeah, I loved doing that kind of stuff. And it was, an, it was also, uh, with, you know, being that class clown and stuff like that, it was, it was, a, it was a little bit of a mask for me because, you know, yeah, I could absolutely. be that funny person and I could, you know, yeah. yeah. And you, you hear about a lot of uh, guys like Robin Williams and stuff like that, like comedians that are like so funny. And then like behind closed doors, they're going through stuff. You have no idea that they're, you know what I mean? But it does make you feel, I don't know. It's something, it's something about being the center of attention or, or that, or, or the life of the party or making people laugh that makes you, that kind of makes you forget about the stuff that you're, you're dealing with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it actually does. And I, I, I want to circle back to something that you that you hit on, and I love the concept, I, uh, which is this uh, this loyalty piece of really feeling the need and intrinsic uh, uh, desire to work and and be a part of this, and and really not honoring your own your own safety or your own uh, establishing some boundaries. What those are things that we know now, but uh, I call it distorted loyalty, which. You know, specialized units, people who get involved in uh, certain team uh, team environments, SWAT or drug task force, they really feel this um, unbalanced loyalty to uh, to do the work. They just feel this calling, like if I'm not here, it's not going to get done. Is that is that fair? Is that a good description of where you're at in this in this uh, kind of yeah. where you're at? Oh yeah, for sure. Like yeah, and that's that's kind of how I felt. Is like. Well, I've got to be there. They're gonna; those guys are gonna depend on me, and those guys need another beat partner or whatever. And even like on that day shift, and and, and still delving in, I started. I got into. Uh, I was asked to go to uh, interview for our crisis negotiation or hostage negotiation unit, and like I said, and even then, I was still kind of going through some stuff. But I was like, oh yeah, 
I'll do that. You know, so I, I ended up getting on the unit and, um, you know, the, our first couple of call outs that I went on, um, uh, one of our main guys came up to me and he's like, man, you really got it. You really know how to talk to people. You have, you have a good, you have a good knack for this. And so even more of a pressure thing, like, okay, well now I gotta, you know what I mean? I gotta perform for this. You know, I can never miss a call out. I've got to be there for everything. I've got to be the one who making the calls, all that stuff. Spoken like the true first responder. Uh, if I'm, if I'm yeah. upside down, I might as well sign up for some more shit. Uh, I'm just not getting enough yeah. adrenaline. Right. This is no, right. Yeah. So, yeah, so I got on that unit and, uh, uh, like I said, we had several call outs and then I don't know, maybe a year or two after that, getting on that unit, I had the opportunity to, uh, uh, go do forensics. And at that point I'd been on 15 years. And I did it all in patrol. I did a short stint in um, a six month stint in robbery homicide. Uh, they asked me if I wanted to try it out. I said, yeah, sure. I'll try it out. Absolutely hated it. Uh, and not because of what I saw not because of what I, it just, it, to me, it was boring to, to like uh, chase down people and, and, and chase leads. It just, it just seemed like, you know, it just seemed monotonous. I didn't like the work. So I, I didn't do it. And um, I, I ended up getting a chance to go to our forensics unit. And that's just a forensic services unit is what we call it. And it's just a crime scene unit. You know what I mean? You go to all the, the you go to all the murders, all the suicides, all the, uh, the, the death involved collisions, domestic violence, anything that needs documented uh, with cameras and um, maybe a crime scene or whatever. We did that. And, um, and it, it was even more of a, uh, again, like it, it was like you said, signing up for more stuff that I didn't need to sign up for because now I'm going to every absolutely worst scene in the city i'm going to it now and i'm going i'm seeing dudes with like their heads cut off and i'm seeing dudes you know that, have, that were stabbed to death i'm seeing babies that were killed it's like now i'm going like you know and i would go home and break down um uh after some of these things scenes that i would go to and then i got back into that's when i got back into um uh therapy and, and seeing a psychiatrist psychologist those i, I started seeing those people because i and they would ask me, they would say, they would say, why are you doing this? Why, like, what, what is the point? Like, if this, if this stuff is what it traumatic or whatever, and then not, you know, you get that, you, you kind of get that puff your chest out. Like, well, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And that's how, that's kind of how I felt. I kind of felt like I, you know, I, I'm okay enough to, to do this. So why put somebody else through it? I'll just do it. I'll handle it. I'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll handle it. And, you know, people around me suffered and, uh, my marriage suffered for sure. And, uh, I think relationships with people suffered, um, but I still felt like no matter what I was going through, like um, I needed to be doing it for whatever deluded reason. <laughs> like I have to be like, this is, there's nothing else that I can do other than this. Like I have to do this and for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Um, so yeah, go into like a little bit, if you can, if you're, if you're willing to go into a little bit about your personal life, man. So like, you know, obviously you're excelling in your career and you're, yeah. you know, excelling and you're getting promotions. You're going into some specialized units. Like what, what does it look like when you leave? Are you going home and just, you know, completely dissociating, sitting on the couch, staring at the TV? Obviously you said your relationships are struggling. Like, you know, when you left work, what was going on in your life at this point? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh and I always, it always made, I would, we, I would make jokes with guys that I worked with, like how, like, how am I so good at this job? How, how am I so good at negotiating? How am I so good at this? And I can't even manage my own personal life. And that's what it felt like. Like 
like you said, I was, I felt like I was excelling at work and then going home, all I could think about was going back to work because I, I feel like I didn't fit in at home. Like they, those, they'll never understand what I'm going through. My wife will never get what I'm going through. She, she doesn't understand uh, what I see. She doesn't understand what I deal with. She doesn't understand what's inside my head. Um, my kids are too young. I can't expose them to any of this. I can't talk to them. I can't bring them into it. And then I just didn't, then I, I, I got into this point where I didn't know how to um, uh, interact with them sometimes because it just became a, you know, I, for the most part, if you ask my ex-wife or, and my kids, like I'm the fun parent, I, I'm the, you know, I, I goof off with them and I'm, I'm not a disciplinarian with them and, and stuff like that. Um, and I started to lose some of that fun dad stuff when the more this went down, like you said, yeah, I would go home, I would veg out on the couch if I could. Um, I start, I, I started a little bit of exercising because they were like, hey, this is good for you. And I would exercise kind of, you know, sporadically, but uh, running became a good thing for me just because I, I could wear myself out so much that I could just go home and go to sleep. And that's all I'd I, I live for going to sleep and just not having to deal with any of the things that I think about that I brought home from work. And I just couldn't, I, I, you couldn't, I couldn't shake that stuff. And I couldn't, people talked about, you know, separating your work and your home. I didn't know how to do it. And I, I couldn't figure it out um, for the longest time. And then it seems like it clicked. Hey, BJ. So, so just for time purposes, and I know this is, this is uh, such a great uh, conversation here, but when, when, when BJ's at his lowest, like we're, we're headed towards, uh, something pretty, I mean, we can all feel it right here in the conversation. What's BJ, what's BJ got going on at his lowest right here? I mean, we're, we're, we're almost there, right? Are we, are we drinking? Are we running around? Are we, are we thinking about taking our own life? What are we, what are we doing here? See, I never got to the point where I was going to drink myself stupid and I, alcohol was never a big thing for me. My, my stepdad drank a lot and I saw the way he acted. Uh, uh, as a kid and, and how he acted with my brothers. And I didn't, uh, I never wanted to be that guy. Um, so I, I, a lot of disassociation with family, friends, stuff like that. Uh, at lowest, yeah. I, at lowest, did I think about taking my own life? Absolutely. Yeah, I thought about it because I thought, well, I'm no good to my family um, the way I am. So maybe it would be better if I wasn't even around. That's that's the, that's, what I would, that's what I would think. Like, if I, you know, if, if there, I'm such a, because, you know, obviously at that time, it was, uh, my marriage was dissolving and, uh, some of the stuff my wife would say, my ex-wife would say to me, uh, about, uh, you're no good right now. You're not doing anything for it. You know, I, I would think, yeah, she's right. I'm no good to anybody right now. Like, why don't I just, why don't I just do this thing? You know what I mean? Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was, it, it was buddies at work that, that kind of kept me going and, and, and going to, uh, uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, going to those people and talking to them and, and kind of working through it. Um, I would never say it to them because I was always worried that they would report back to my PA sure, of course. and then I would be out of a job. Of I would be out of a job. That's what I, I always thought. And uh, I was like, I'm never going to tell them that I'm thinking about this. And the truth be told, that so, you're probably not that far from the truth of, of I mean, in certain, certain departments that, uh, I don't know about yours, but in certain departments, that's a career ender. Uh, you know, so there is some, there is some yeah. valid fear. I think the, I think the culture is changing yeah. in that, but, uh, so if we look at this from, uh, uh, you know, let's look at, at the, 
the healing portion of BJ. So what, what starts turning this ship around? Uh, what, what, what are some of the things that, that happened in your life, uh, that started, that started the slow turn of getting BJ healthy? You know, it was, like I said, the, the, the more I put in, uh, the more effort I put into, um, the, the counseling, the more effort I put into that, um, I think that's when it, it probably started to turn around or whatever. Um, and it fluctuated at this point because, because of my, my ending marriage, uh, I'd been with this girl since 96 and, uh, it was, you know, it was coming up on what I think it was, this is, it was right, right. This time it was right around 2018 when our marriage, our marriage ended in 2018. And, um, I was still, I was doing the counseling, but not whatever, but, and, and then it, and then it, that ended and I go, okay, what, what the fuck do I, what, what am I going to, what do I do now? Like, I don't, I don't, I now there's, now I have times where I'm alone. My kids are with my ex-wife and I'm living in a condo by myself. And now it's just me and my thoughts. So you've got to get your shit together or something's going to happen. You're going to head to a, a, a bad space. And like I said, put, started putting so much focus into um, exercising and so much focus into counseling and talking to those people uh, and just figuring it out. And then, you know, and then time with my kids, because we were doing week to week, which we still do. It was just like, they get them a week, she gets them a week, I get them a week, you know, just back and forth. And it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty easy, as far as divorces go, it's pretty easy divorce. We didn't fight with each other. We didn't argue over who's going to pay who. It was really just, let's just, let's just end this thing. And, um, so we, so the time that I had with my kids, I knew that I had to put a lot of effort into them also, because I was like, I can't be this person and just sit around hoping because like where it was, where I was still living with my wife, I could let her do the parent duties and just be whatever. But now, now they're with me by myself. I'm the parent and I have to do this stuff. So I started putting more focus into those, those guys and, and doing stuff with them. And we, we went and did stuff and outdoors, hiking, we could kayaking, all that kind of stuff. And, um, I think it's just starting to, starting to realize that you don't have to be dependent on, I don't know, you can, it's kind of a weird, like you can do this by yourself. You don't need any other people with you, but you still need other people with you. Uh, kind of that, it was a weird dichotomy, I guess. If that's what, is that, the, if that's even the word I'm looking for, uh, of how to handle that. So, um, a, a little bit of that, a little bit of that whole turning it around might've been and, and probably is the divorce. You know what I mean? Putting me out on my own and making me figure it out on my own, not relying on, so I didn't, ha I, I couldn't rely on anybody else um, to deal with the things other than me. So I've got to, I've got to figure this out. Um, or like I said, or, 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 or I, I'm not going to, I'm going to fail on my own. So I can't do that. So I had to, um, like I said, and it was, a, it was a combination of everything. Uh, friends, uh, uh, medication I was taking, counseling, um, you know, doing my own thing now. It was a combination just like at everything that just kind of pulled me out of it and uh, got me to the place that, you know, uh, and there were several calls, several of my negotiating calls that um, one I can remember in, in particular, it was four, uh, I talked to this guy for four hours um, and he had just murdered somebody and kidnapped his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend. And I talked to this guy for four hours and he had been through some similar stuff growing up. He was like 23 or something like that. 
but he's been through some similar stuff that I had been through as a kid. And um, you start thinking like, God, I, like I, I can't, like, do I want to go the direction that kid's going? Like, I, yeah, he's only 23, but fuck, man, is it, is it going to get that bad for me? Like, I've got to, you start thinking, I really, like, after leaving those kind of calls, you're thinking, I really got to figure this out because I can't, I can't be that. I can't fall into some, I don't want people, uh, uh, a SWAT team around my house trying to talk me out because I've just flipped out. Uh, I've got to figure this out. And like I said, I just put, just started putting a lot of effort into just life in general. And that sounds super cheesy, super corny, but just putting effort into doing everyday life. You know what I mean? No, that's not cheesy at all, man. First off, that's like, especially in this like mental health world that both Brad and I work in, like the reality of people getting healthy and doing what they need to do for their family and for themselves. Like the first thing we say is it takes work, right? And a lot of people are just not willing to put that work in. And what what it was for you or what it sounds like is like, it was time to sink or swim and you decided to swim, right? Like that, that's the reality. And then you also realize that because it sounds like a lot of the work you put in was outside of the job, like on your personal life, things that mattered, family, friends, you know, get, getting busy, working out, staying healthy, talking about your shit. Like, you know, we, we obviously we work for a residential treatment center, but like, that's what we hope everyone would do. Right. We, like, we, we yeah. want people to do exactly what you just did before they even have to come to us like that. When they come to us, it's a breaking point, right? Like, and, and we can say to them everything that you just told us, but that sound, that's like a mountain for people. So it speaks a lot to your character on what you were trying to do, that you were able to do this somewhat on your own with the help of, of other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would echo that. And, and Austin just say, you know, a lot of the, the, uh, people we interact with and, and some of the people we've had on here, uh, have been, I had to go to treatment or I had to go to uh, inpatient or, and this is, this is a refreshing, uh, conversation of a of a guy who's actually seen the signs ahead of time and started digging in and doing work early uh and saying if i don't do i mean he, he said it right there if i don't do this i'm going to end up over here and action steps taken to move forward so uh, BJ, what does, uh, what does life look like today? I, know, I mean, I know you're still in the law enforcement game, but you know, you're not out there pounding the pavement. You're not arresting drunk, uh, bad guys. You're not chasing and wrestling down the narcotics. You're not talking, uh, crazy people off the ledge as a negotiator. Uh, you're not doing the forensic stuff. Uh, so it's a much more docile lifestyle, but are there things that you still do on a daily basis that are proactive towards, maintaining that mental health and if there is can you share some of those things that are i mean these are like austin said this is daily work uh for most people uh is there are there things that you still do today to make sure that that stays uh that you stay on top of your game um yeah um you know i i don't know if there's a daily thing i i uh, definitely my kids are you know my, my kids are 20 18 and 14 and uh my 18 year old, um, the past couple of years, uh, she just graduated high school and, um, she's kind of been going through some stuff herself. Um, I think, you know, with COVID and, and getting, uh, social anxiety and all that kind of stuff. So I've kind of, uh, me meant me, I guess 
mentoring with her and talking to her and, and letting her know the stuff that I felt and the stuff that I, because I could, now I can use all the stuff that I went through and talk to her about it. Uh, so I think on a daily basis, it helps me to just talk to some of those people like that and the people that are going through it. The, um, the school that I'm at is a, uh, is a, um, is an alternative school and it's high school kids. Uh, and probably half the kids that go to the school are on ankle monitor, uh, just dealing with some, you know, they don't have the family structure. They have, you know, terrible home lives. Uh, they, they've still stolen cars. And being able to like have those kids come into my office or just see me in the hallway and come up and talk to me is is uh, very therapeutic to talk to somebody and let them know like, hey, like, you know, what I mean, people deal with bullshit and you can get out of it. And, you know, I've, I've been at my lowest point and I've got out of it. It's nothing you can't get out of it. And uh, the thing that I, I've always said to some of these kids that are, you know, that are kind of dealing with some of this crazy stuff. And even when I, I used it as a negotiator, when people were talking about killing themselves and, and they're going to, they're going to do this and I'll just end it. And I always tell them that like, when you do that, when you, when you take your own life, all your problems just go to somebody else. They're not just gone. You just took all of your problems and you put them on your family. You just took all your problems and you put them on your, your, your friends who didn't, who now are like, well, what, did, what, what did I do wrong? Or, or I said, that's what you're going to, that's, what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I think I, I, you were talking about, uh, recognizing those signs early and stuff like that. And a lot of it was, um, you know, my dad killed himself when I was young, young. And I know what that did to me growing up my whole life. I knew, I knew how that made me feel. I was never going to put my kid through that kids. I was never going to put my three girls through having a dad who killed himself. And cause I wonder every day, what could, what did I do? What, you know what I mean? Why was I so bad that, my dad would do that ultimate abandonment, not just going out for milk and not coming back. That was like the ultimate, I'm never coming back. And I just always have had, had to deal with that. So I know that I knew that I was never going to put my kids through that. So I was never going to get to that point to actually do that because I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, um, I could, I couldn't, I couldn't put my kids through that. And at first, and I'll say this, I, I, I'm jumping around. But at first, when I first started going through this and started taking medication, I tried to rely solely on medication. Like I just wanted the medication and I took probably more than I probably should have at the beginning because I just wanted to be numb and not feel anything. And it was the wrong move for sure. Uh, but some, but you know, and I, I, in talking to some of those psychiatrists, they're like, yeah, this, this medicine is not a cure-all. Like this is not the, this medicine is not going to be like, oh, you're good. You're good to go. Like you just take this medicine. It's like Tylenol. It's not like that. You got to do work with medication. And I always thought that uh, at the beginning that I'll just take medication and be fine. Like it'll just numb me out. And that's what it did. It numbed me out. And that's probably what um, put that distance between me and my ex-wife and put the distance between me and my kids just being numb and not having any feelings. <laughs> and that was, you have to have something. You have to feel something or you're just going to go numb. And that's that's kind of what happened at first. BJ, if you, uh, I first off, let me just, I really appreciate you sharing your story and coming on and being so uh, vulnerable and transparent with our listeners because these stories are so awesome. Uh, and I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, but as we, as we kind of close this out and uh, do a wrap up with this, uh, what I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of, of maybe wisdom for the younger generation coming into this. And so let's use a question. Like if you were talking to the younger BJ, uh, entering into his career, 
maybe a tidbit or two of wisdom of saying, Hey, here's something to, to, to watch out for, uh, you know, use caution in these red flags, or here's something to think about because look, this profession is noble, honorable, and we need good, healthy, sound, strong, resilient cops out here doing the job. Uh, it's not like we want to run everybody out of the business. Uh, but we do want to be cognizant and aware of, of the difficult journey that this, uh, puts in front of, uh, people. So if you were, if you were going to offer up, you know, Hey, watch out for this, or here's something to think about. What, what would some of those wisdom tidbits from an old crusty hand like yourself be? Yeah. I think, uh, uh, I think the biggest piece of wisdom that I, I could get, and I tell, I tell kids like this and I tell young officers, uh, is just communicate. Like when you see something or you're dealing with something, just talk to somebody about it, anybody. And uh, I told, I was, that's what I told my uh, 18 year old. I was like, you, the, the more you hold on to this stuff you're thinking about in your own head, the more it eats away at you. And uh, that's what those, that's what some of those bad calls were doing to me is they were eating away at me. So <laughs> that's what, that's what I tell the young officers is that when you see something that's really shitty that, you know, human beings shouldn't see, shouldn't have to deal with when you see something like that talk to somebody about it you be partner your spouse you just get it out just say hey this is what i saw and fuck, it was fucked up it was it was terrible to see uh because when you get it out you're fine um i can i can remember going to a, a this is a little off but um i went to a, a a party of my wife it was her colleagues nurses doctors stuff like that and it was a christmas party and uh, I was talking to a doctor about a call I was on where a guy had lost basically from here to here. All of this was gone. He got uh, he got into a car wreck and his head came out of the window and it hit a, he hit a uh, he hit a log or something and it took half his head off. And I had pictures of it and I showed this doctor and he goes, he just looks at me and he goes, are you OK? I'm like, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, I was like, this is, this is like a call I take. You know, it happens. So he goes, man, you, you need to talk to somebody. He goes, that's, that's something you shouldn't see something like that. He goes, I, I, as a doctor, I don't know if I've seen anything that gruesome. How are you dealing with that? And I, at, at the time I blew it off. I go, you know, what is, what a pussy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? But it, those, those things affected me and I wasn't letting, I was trying not to let those affect me and they were. So, like I said, I tell those young officers when you see stuff, or or, or you just want to talk about, you know, the, the bullshit of life or the bullshit of of your job, just talk about it to somebody, because when you get it out, it feels so freaking good. And it, like when I when I was going to those psychologists and psychiatrists, what felt so good is is and, and they have no stake in the game as far as like they're they're not on either side. They they can just listen to me, and I can tell them anything, and they can just listen and and and, and give me feedback without saying, oh, well, that's you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't do this. Um, it was refreshing to actually say things to them out loud that I wasn't saying to anybody. Um, so I think those things are very therapeutic to talk to, 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 to say things out loud um, that you're, that you have in here, because if you don't, it just stays turning around in there and it eats away at you. So communication. And BJ, your, your message is, is on fucking point. Like it is, it is a beautiful message and you can tell sitting here and if people can't see your facial expressions and all that kind of stuff like we can, you mean what you say, right? You believe what you say. And and that's a, yeah, that's a beautiful thing, man. Like there's not 
in my opinion, enough people like yourself in that in in that profession that are willing to just spread the what you just said. Just fucking talk about it. Just open up the the shit's fucked up. No matter what anyone says, it's it's a tough job and and you need to talk to someone. Man, I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you you telling us that message and, and telling everyone that's listening that message. Yeah, I, I, I would echo that. And there's been so many, uh, there've been several great nuggets in this uh, conversation piece, but that, that is, I think we should leave it there. I think we got to park it right there. Cause I don't know that there's a better message uh, that we could go into than that right there, which is if you're, if you're struggling with something or if you got something hanging around, get that shit out. Uh, go talk to somebody and, uh, whoever you tell may or may not be, um, you know, may or may not be prepared for that. They'll probably steer you. If it's heavy, they're going to steer you in a better, better direction. That's the, that's the great thing about, uh, what's happening in our culture. Uh, cops fire, uh, EMS is they're like, man, that's, that's too much. Uh, there's therapists down the road. Here's the number. Uh, so yeah, great message, BJ. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us and, uh, being, being exposing your career to us. This has been an absolutely great interview. Thank you so much, bro. Chateau recovery is a 16 bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's first responder resiliency program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.